0: since brevity is the soul of wit.
1: More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo? Wherefore art thou, Romeo?
0: To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise-breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand! The lady doth Test too much, with things The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay, and I'm Aiden, and we are the Bix. Yes, we are. And this episode, we're talking about Antony and Cleopatra, uh, the original power couple, the the classic, literally classical example <laughs> of a power couple. Uh, really,
1: you would call them a power couple? They kind of fail at everything.
0: Yes. But, <laughs> until they fail, they are the ultimate power couple. Most most historical figures uh, in this time period, mostly just men. Uh, the fact that you have Cleopatra and that she is a uh, contributing member to this power duo is worth something, I Maybe
1: think. one of Shakespeare's most well-fleshed-out uh, female characters. I think so. Um, yeah. And they ha- they do have an interesting dynamic. It's a very mature tragedy. It was written yeah. in the... Uh, much later years of Shakespeare's yes. writing career Yep. and um, yeah and it, so, it was just
0: in the folio uh, yeah, again 1623 no, Yep, yeah, uh, original publication uh, I didn't look too much into the into the performance history but I believe it was performed in Shakespeare's timeline timeline time frame in his his lifetime I'm gonna fall between the words here <laughs> um, and yeah so it's it's and it's I'd say it's one of his better known plays just by name alone um, it has received a fair bit of uh, media attention. There was the big uh, 1960s Cleopatra, which is a kind of an approximation of the same story. It kinda,
1: doesn't it mash up Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra? I, like I believe
0: so. I've more. never actually seen it. We, we said we were going to watch yeah, it, and we did like not. It's like five hours long or something <laughs> we, silly As soon as like we that. saw that, we're like, mm, we'll just watch Tap the Tap out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's that. There was a 74 uh, Antony and Cleopatra Like uh, the BBC production. version? No, it was oh. a, it was an actual filmed one. Er, okay. 72. It was right before uh, Macbeth. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, uh, that the version did.
1: we watched though was the Stratford yes. Festival. Yes, um, which they, they have a beautiful production quality. Yeah, well, they yeah they do. It's the job. the preeminent Canadian um, uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare festival. So I yeah. mean, I, you expected as much. You were right. It it was first performed um, by the King's Men in sixteen oh seven. So there it go. was performed okay. for sure during Shakespeare's lifetime. Yeah. as most of his plays. Yeah, work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I, I yeah, it's it's in terms of name recognition definitely is um, one of the more popular plays. And I think just by virtue of the legendary status of Cleopatra and the fact that it follows so closely on the heels of Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. um, which is also another famous play yep. um, and another famous historical figure based on actual events like we've got we don't see it on on stage but like the battle of actium is Mm -hmm. is acted out here so i mean it's um when shakespeare plays with historical characters especially classical historical characters it's really interesting because you i guess kind of have the freedom to explore bigger themes Mm -hmm. than you do with the history plays like the strict
0: history plays yeah i mean that i mean the history in this time period is pretty loosey goosey as it as it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the ancient sources, and they're you know dubious at best, and they're poetic in their Are own way. Are you saying
1: Plutarch is not a reliable? I'm, I'm saying source? he was
0: doing it uh, 400 years after whatever <laughs> it was. probably probably 100 years after the event. So, I mean, it's it's. It, it gives more license and Shakespeare definitely picks up that license and runs with it mm-hmm. uh, he did it in Julius Caesar too. I mean we talked about it in that episode as well yeah um, but here I think he's gone to another level he's really honed in on these characters and these dynamics and set up a duality for the ages mm-hmm. it is Antony and Cleopatra it is man and woman it is war and love it is these contrasting things and that's that's most of what we're going to talk about today but before we go there okay Lindsay yes it is your turn yeah for 30 seconds mm-hmm. you're so excited I can hear I'm it in just, your voice I'm just
1: a little nervous I, I was gonna I was gonna delay a little bit I was gonna ask you to explain who the Ptolemies were just so that I could <laughs> have a little bit more time okay to think about. I will
0: quickly do a rundown on the Ptolemies. well I'm,
1: I, I, I guess I guess you know amuse me uh no humor me that's the <laughs> amuse me <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. that one works too it's been a
1: long day um <laughs> Talk about what it means to be a Ptolemy and what Ptolemaic Egypt was um, so that I can gather my thoughts. Sure yeah Thanks, So I mean
0: and it's it's worth mentioning because uh, there is um, I think a historical uh, misunderstanding in the popular culture, I'd say, of who Cleopatra was. She wasn't Egyptian per se, despite right. being the queen of Egypt, uh, she was a Ptolemaic. Uh, Queen of Egypt, the last one, obviously, Um, and they were so they basically traced their history back to Alexander the Great. So when after Alexander the Great died, um, a bunch of Greeks were in charge of Egypt and India and the Middle East and Persia and all these places, and all of the they all became basically warlords and then became kings in their region, and the the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty. Uh, was the one that ruled in Egypt for the longest time and named after Ptolemy the first who was the first one um and he was one of Alexander's secretaries I think or something like that he was just he was Ptolemy. yeah he, okay. was, he was just really close to Alexander um and yeah so they they reigned and they had some fucked up practices i mean they, the whole like uh cleopatra is a goddess and all the ptolemaic ones kind of set themselves up as as gods within the egyptian slash uh greek pantheon mm-hmm. um but uh they also they practiced No, not they perfected they didn't just practice it they perfected incest because they basically wanted to keep their bloodline pure so like Brothers would marry sisters uh, constantly. That was how, like, uh, yeah, the, the bloodline was supposed to be. Well,
1: the Egyptians did that, too, so it was kind yeah, of a, yeah. a precedent I mean, for well, it. Well, that's the
0: thing. It, they, they're very unique. I mean, we don't have time to get into it yeah. here, but they're a very cool kind of uh, example of uh, the ancient world, cultures clashing, and uh, a ruling... Uh, System kind of adapting to fit the people who were already there and the people there adapting to fit the new rulers.
1: So it's like a fusion restaurant, right, where you take two different kinds of food and just mash it together to make something new? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: I wasn't really listening. I was thinking about the plot, so... (laughs) Sure, that works then. Um, I'm kidding.
0: But yeah, no, so it's... So, I mean, yeah, she would have been Greek... Um, by ethnicity, I guess, but yeah. you know, she did. She carried on the well, heirs of. A I mean, the, the Ptolemaic
1: group. dynasty was th- like the last great dynasty of Egypt, correct? Yeah. And it was a three hundred year long mm-hmm. dynasty. So, yeah. I mean, they were uh, Greek, I guess, but I mean, if you've been ruling for three hundred years yeah, in another in country, region. you're yeah. Egyptian, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but it's it is interesting. We'll we'll talk about it when we get into the play about um, the way that. Egypt is set up as like other to yeah. Rome, which is a very deliberate uh, dichotomy, I guess, to to set up. Yeah, for
0: sure. Lindsay, I've given you Hi, enough time. I know, I know, I know. You have thirty seconds. Let me know when.
1: Go. So we have Antony, who is one of the three rulers of Rome. He's kind of fucked off, and he's hanging out in Egypt with Cleopatra, but he has to come back because another guy is threatening to come in. Pompey is threatening to come in and take over Rome. So he goes back, and it doesn't really work out, and he ends up having to go back to Egypt, and then all of his buddies in Rome attack Egypt because they're mad at him, and um, Cleopatra is supposed to help him, but she doesn't, and they end up disgraced, and they both kill themselves in the end. And that was pretty pathetic wasn't it
0: that was really amazing that was, was it that was downright impressive because that wow. is most of the play i
1: mean i missed the whole Eno barbus subplot and, and uh <laughs> yeah,
0: okay so you don't get the major <laughs> subplot that's fine it's... but the
1: main thrust of the play yes, is, is, is these that. two these two people who are just passionately in love with one another um to their
0: discredit I don't know if it's discredited so much as it is their downfall. It, it well, is, yeah, for yeah sure. it is. It is. It leads directly to their downfall. But um, the play kind of wants you to think that it's worth it, that their deaths are typically tragic and worthwhile in the sense of they were pursuing love. But does at the same time, it? it doesn't.
1: I don't think it, it does. It
0: really the plays... I, I enjoyed this... Again, we read this in... You know, I read this in university. Lindsay did not read this in university. <laughs> this is one of the many that she uh, somehow got Founded away without it. reading. Um, but uh, reading it again this time, I was. it was a much more interesting play. I think because we've... Talked about this on the podcast many times as we've gone through the plays. You see Shakespeare expanding his his abilities in terms of nuance and contradiction and it, building elaborate characters um that that have you know real depth to them. Mm-hmm. And here he's he's reached well past, you know, a tr- well, Troilus and Cresta was kind of it was a different approach. It was yeah. it was a much more sarcastic approach. Um but this one feels like he's capable of both uh saying love is real and love is stupid and men are the superior ones and men are stupid and women are the superior gender and women are stupid as well there there's no clear cut answer for no. any of these these topics so everything just kind of swirls around but it feels like there is a pathos to the to the characters especially especially Antony and Cleopatra well
1: for sure and and you're right to say that it was nuanced that was the word i was going to use is that um it's shakespeare to shakespeare's credit that there's that um there is no clear cut answer but i i think the um, for sure there's there is a, a pathos there's um obviously a, a love is presented as the biggest problem from mm. one side of the coin right it's the problem it <laughs> you can't be a roman and be a lover yeah. almost yeah. which is and, and you can't be Egyptian and be logical and I think that's where mm. Antony and Cleopatra are at odds with themselves with each other with their birth with their positions as rulers of their respective kingdoms yeah. um, because they're they both are themselves and the opposite mm-hmm. right and that's the when you have a character like that when you have Shakespeare who can look at that and say this is what it is, then all of a sudden like we're we're gonna be looking, at the themes we're going to be talking about are all dichotomies. They're Mm. all like either or, but it's not a black and white thing because these things exist within the characters of the play. They exist within Eno Barbas. They exist within, um, well, not so much Octavius. He's pretty cold and calculated. Yeah. He
0: seems to be on one end. Yeah.
1: But I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a threading that threading the needle of um, like, like, there is no way to thread the needle, I guess is what I'm saying. It's you are you can't yeah, really,
0: it's almost like when you try and thread the needle, it comes out in four different strands. Right. And right. they all just like, they all go in there. It's like the opposite, opposite of threading a needle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's your... before
1: you've turned it into yarn, you're <laughs> carting it still. Yeah. Like that's what this play is, yeah. but it's, it's to Shakespeare's credit that it works so well. Yeah. Because it is a very mature play. It's like, I rem- um, the death scene, Romeo and Juliet comes mm-hmm. to mind, but in that play written in what 1595 Five or whatever, yeah. is it's so immature. It's like this is young love, it's puppy love. They've known each other for two days, whereas Antony and Cleopatra have been lovers for how long? Yeah, and and they're they're still making the same dumb mistakes. But there's and they're not totally mature about it, but there are mature stakes. Well, and, and, and
0: it, it feels like. It is a bit of a statement on on the fact that um, you know if you still have these competing things of love and uh, some sort of you know the the chaos of love and right. and the order of some other structure whether it's Rome or or family politics or politics, politics or something yeah um, the outcome is really kind of the same right you're, if you stick with love you're gonna die um, so that that underlying message hasn't changed. What, what gives it weight here is the fact that they are mature adults who have children and uh, experience and have lived lives before this point. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 worth noting. You horse and do thou stole for a witch. I do, do, thou sudden witted lord. Thou hast no more brain than I have
1: in So I guess the first theme that you you have in our notes anyways Mm -hmm. male versus female antony versus cleopatra i guess or cleopatra versus anthony (laughs) (laughs) Antony, sorry
0: um yeah i think well i think this is the one that that kind of permeates every other element of the play is this this idea of femininity versus masculinity uh, is baked into all the other dichotomies that we really Mm -hmm. kind of wind up talking about um and yeah you're, you're right like there's the character's start off as, you know, Antony should be the, the big man. And he's talked about as being the big man. He's a general. Um, he's, he, yeah, you know. He bestrides like a colossus, but that's not this play. But, it, you know, she describes him that way uh, yes. after he's died. You know, he was the biggest man in all the world. With he's, such
1: a great sword.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she really loved that sword, and so did he. Uh, but, yeah, and then, uh, but I, and I think it's, it's kind of interesting because you have Antony who kind of is supposed to fill that role, but really doesn't. I think no. I think Caesar is the only one who, who is like a pure man. And
1: that's, I think, um, the the interesting thing about masculine and feminine is that typically you would have feminine, especially in Shakespeare um, and in this time period, femininity is wishy-washy and it's very f- emotional. It's how we look at it today even, right? Like mm. um, men don't cry and all that stuff. Like yeah. these are, right? Um and then men are coldly logical and calculating, right? Mm-hmm. And Octavius absolutely embodies yes, that yeah. cold logic, calculating yeah. masculine quality.
0: And, and to an extent, I think Cleopatra, uh, you know, embodies the feminine.
1: She does, but divide. she also has a coldly calculating part. Mm-hmm. When she realizes that, well, I could ally with Caesar and it might be advantageous to me, um, that's that's a masculine trait. That's yeah. her whipping her dick out and yeah. saying like this is what i'm gonna do yeah. um for me like i'm going to benefit me and yeah. anthony does the same thing like he he wants to benefit himself um it's why he coldly calculates his marriage to octavia's sister octavia yeah. which is very confusing mr <laughs> and mrs caesar that you the parents i mean you name your children the same thing but anyway um so like that choice doesn't jibe with Cleopatra's passion, or Antony's passion for her, either. Mm-hmm. But it is an advantageous move. It is a political move. It's shrewd. It it allies you with the person that you've been fighting with and makes that bond stronger. So they they both exhibit masculine traits, masculine traits. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, but they both exhibit feminine traits too, from time to time. And and by the end of the play, they really have reversed roles, wouldn't you say? Antony has become, he follows Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium. Yeah. She's the one who takes decisive action and leaves the yeah. fucking battle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he ends up weeping and crying, and, and he's beside himself, and he can't kill himself at the end. Yeah, he's, like, not he's
0: good
1: that, yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas Cleopatra takes charge, and still makes all these decisions to end her own life, even, you know, it's it's not for any other reason than she just doesn't want to be embarrassed and paraded through the streets of Rome, but... I
0: mean, yeah, but I mean, nobody would want that, right? Like, no no conquered monarch, man or woman, would want that, right? So, I mean, it—it's absolutely true. I think, um, I think Antony also shows up some of his "quote unquote" feminine traits when he—he behaves very much like Cleopatra is super dramatic in this play. I mean, that is one of the defining parts of her character. How many
1: times has she threatened to kill herself, (laughs) or has actually died, right? Like (laughs) when she doesn't get her way.
0: Exactly, Uh, and Antony kind of falls into this trap too. Mm -hmm. He—he's he wants to, he's going to go take care of things in Rome and be yes. a man. And then as soon as he gets there, he's like, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. And then when he gets to Egypt, he's like, Oh, you harpy woman, you've turned me soft and you've softened my sword again. <laughs> and, and he, but then he goes back to war and then he's back and then he's, he's complaining, calling her a whore. And yeah, she he, looks
1: at another man and he freaks yeah. out and he's like whipping soldiers yeah. or, or messengers, <laughs> messengers and, yeah. and whatnot, yeah. you know, for like her he's, flirting with them. Yeah.
0: He's just as, as flighty as she is. Yeah. Um, and it, it really undercuts any any insistence on him being the masculine dude. Yeah. And her uh, ability to switch into masculine mode, so to say, mm-hmm. uh, is really undercuts her as like the ideal feminine figure. Yeah. I, I, there really isn't a, a, a really strong, completely consistent feminine role anywhere in the play. Um, mm-hmm. And it's... You kind of you're you're supposed to view it as Cleopatra, but the play doesn't let you view her as that that purely Well, it's figure. it's
1: again it's nuanced, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's more reflective of how people actually are. They, especially in the case of Antony and Cleopatra, they are um, they're in it for themselves. They mm-hmm. aren't in it for the betterment of their kingdoms or the betterment of the people around them, even in their immediate circle. Um, so. Whatever gets them what they want is what they'll put on. So if, if Cleopatra can get what she wants by being hyper-feminine, she'll do that. Yeah. If yeah. she gets what she wants by being hyper-masculine, she'll do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's that ability to wear gender like a uh, costume almost yeah. or or to embody gender like a costume. Yeah. It's um, always
0: great in a play that was performed entirely by men. By totally, men. <laughs> right? And, yeah, and, yeah you can get into all, all alive, kinds yeah.
1: of gender conversations, yeah. which we won't. But... um it It is, yeah, it's, it's strikingly complex. Mm-hmm. And it's not the kind of play that Shakespeare could have written. We say this all the time, but it's not the kind of play he could have written even five years or ten years before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you think of this in, like, before Hamlet. Like, do you really see him kind of pulling out this level of of back and forth nuance, especially with historical characters and having to fit yeah. like it, it does feel like a history. Just to jump back to yeah, yeah. the topic of how do you classify this, it does feel like a history in the fact there's like there's the Pompeii character who comes in for a little bit to help unify the men of Rome. But then he's dealt with, and they move on, and he never kind of appears again, and he's never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. And Lepidus is there for comedic effect because he's like the joke of the the triumvirate. So why
1: can't we all get along? Yeah, yeah. He's
0: he's, <laughs> he's not really a figure, but he's there. Like it's it's it does definitely have uh, some hallmarks of Shakespeare's history plays, but it really does, especially in the last half, it is a tragedy. It is well, Antony and Cleopatra, and story.
1: they and because you can. Um, that far removed i think anyway that far removed from the actual historical events you can cast these characters as Mm -hmm. um tropes almost or or stereotypes but not quite because cleopatra and antony don't fall neatly into any one category well and yeah and that's the thing yeah
0: it's it's that's where the the tragedy and the, the personal characterization that shakespeare's created for them uh really comes through because I mean, you can read the history and have Antony be just, you know, basically a cuckolded kind of like, yeah. you know, he's just there picking up Julius Caesar's sloppy seconds, mm-hmm. and he doesn't care about Rome at all. But he, they want him to. the The play wants him to care deeply about Rome, about mm-hmm. the the political ramifications of everything he's doing. Um, but it also wants him to enjoy his. Often he's kind of played as like an elderly, not elderly, but like an, a middle aged, kind of like in the, the prime of his power, mm-hmm. but maybe the waning days of his youth, kind of kind of Antony, right? This, this person yeah. who's um, kind of stuck between wanting to enjoy uh, the fruits of his labor versus yeah. someone who's willing to just roll up the sleeves well, forever. And, and, and that's and keep it going.
1: Like the contrast between Antony and the purely hyper masculine, always yes. hyper masculine Octavius, yeah. who is. Um, 20 years younger than antony and definitely more virile he was the son of uh uh caesar so mm-hmm. his his position is different and he wasn't just the best friend he was adopted son of yeah. the of the king the yeah. emperor yeah. the caesar so it's like um that contrast is again like like the other hist- history plays there's there's that dynamic that. um is pretty easy to slot in and, and understand. But um it does it 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 is more interesting when you look at the gender construct that's happening between yeah. Antony and Octavius. Or uh, I don't know, I you said there were no hyper feminine characters, but like Cleopatra does have some handmaidens who are like Charmian uh, and I was I'm not re- I'm not sure that they're entirely Hyper feminine. I wouldn't say that. They're not like Octavius level.
0: I mean, it it definitely contributes to the to the second theme that we're going to, which is Rome versus Egypt um, of you know following that masculine versus feminine thing. But even there, the uh, you know, Mm Enobarbus as as Antony's like right hand man. winds up taking on kind of like a feminine role in a sense. He never does any fighting. He's just kind of there. He quips. He's he's kind of a comedic figure, but he's also, you know, v- supposed to be viewed as the voice of Antony that he that not listen to. He's supposed to be the masculine voice, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really do anything masculine. He just... You know, backstabs Antony um, and kind of moves on. Whereas Charmian, her uh, Cleopatra's right hand woman, Mm -hmm. um, does her duty right to the end. She sticks by. She literally dies for her, for her lady. Um, You know, Barbos can't even do that. He Mm -hmm. can't stick with Antony to the end. So, in a sense, but isn't Charmian's uh, more masculine (laughs) at the
1: beginning of the play? Though doesn't Charmian? Isn't she kind of against the whole thing between Cleopatra and Antony, and like not really
0: all for it? I think she's. I think she's poking holes at yeah, Cleopatra a little bit. So it's
1: just it's not like she's totally one hundred percent faithful and loyal yeah, the entire time. She I comes suppose. to become faithful and loyal, <laughs> and she dies faithfully and loyal. Yeah. Whereas Enobarbus
0: starts loyal, starts loyal, and starts dies, loyal and dies on, in disgrace. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. But I don't know. I. I you know. I. I don't
0: know. <laughs> well no, I mean it's 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 just there. It's it's another complication yeah. of reading those characters and their situations one dimensionally, right? Mm-hmm. Um so moving on to that to that connection of the masculine and feminine Rome versus Egypt as, you know, distinct uh physical locations that embody those masculine and feminine yeah. roles. Um it's Especially, uh, I found what I found most interesting was um, when they have uh, a man in uh, Egypt and a woman of Rome. You have Octavia, yes. who is described as cold and, mm-hmm. you know, frigid. not very pretty. Well, no, they call it, they, you know, Caesar says oh. his, her beauty is worthy of any man or something, or you know Barba says that, I think, or something. Um, you know, she's described as beautiful, but she's cold. She is mm-hmm. not Egypt. She is the cold Roman, which, I mean, compared to London, what the fuck, this is all tropical <laughs> paradise, but but yeah, it, within the context of the play, it's, yeah. she's the cold, heartless... Marble statue uh, yeah, in Rome. Yeah, woman, yeah. yeah. She, not to be touched, she's she's there to be looked at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, for a man in Egypt, you have to look at Mardian, which is the eunuch. Right. So there, you're, you're incapable of being a man, mm-hmm. even when you're a man. Mm-hmm. And in Rome, you're incapable of being a woman, even when you're a woman. Right. It's, it's really just a continuation of that, that whole through thing of uh, masculine traits only in Rome. Yeah. Uh, female traits only in Egypt. Um, and then again, you have Antony. Yeah, Antony in particular, I think Antony is really set up as the as the the linchpin between these two worlds. You're supposed to view.
1: Well, he's the only one the, who exists really in both. Yeah. Right. And and to a degree, successfully exists in both. He, if you know the story of Antony, which Shakespeare's audience would have known. Yes. They were trying to emulate. Uh, Roman and Greek society at yeah. this time, right? So they would have understood these stories. Um, we know the story of Antony. We know his great, you know, the Philippi and and all of the things that happened in his life before the start of the play. Yeah. He's a good Roman. And his the way that he survives in Egypt is to become a, a Egyptian. good Egyptian man, yeah. right? He's he's kind of castrated in a sense, yeah. right? And so I love that that scene where um Cleopatra's like they were they were gonna go off and have a good time, and then um you know, he's sent away his messengers, and he's not going to talk to them, but then he's had a I forget how she puts it, he's a had Roman a Roman thought, thought or yes, something, and then he it, yeah. and then he comes to his senses almost and yeah. and the, it doesn't work. He tries to talk to her and she's cutting him off, and she's getting all dramatic. and he's. He can't assert himself in a Roman way in Egypt. He has to go back to Rome in order Mm -hmm. to set his affairs in order to an extent to the extent he can. And then he gets married and they the triumvirate coalesces once more for a hot second. Yeah. Um but yeah, to exhibit those traits, he has to be in Rome. To be a good lover, I guess he has to be in Egypt. He can't be both at once well
0: yeah he literally can't love octavia because no. he's in rome and she's roman right yeah so yeah it, it is definitely set up that way to to just continue that that path but, and,
1: and the, the opposite is also true cleopatra knowing yeah. her fate as a roman captive would be yeah. to be paraded through rome that is uh, an insult that cannot be born mm-hmm. um she would rather die than you know dramatically of course because it's cleopatra um her hot passions won't allow her to be paraded through Rome.
0: Yeah. But in in order to do that, I mean, we'll get to it when we talked about her character a little bit, but in order to uh, achieve that goal, she does very Roman things. Like, she lies and she Mm -hmm. cheats and she does calculated things. Uh, She sets in plan or sets in motion complex plans of Mm -hmm. uh, involving guys with leeches, I think. I don't remember exactly how it works. One last thought on that, sorry, before we move on to uh, the next pair of Uh, themes Um, I just wanted to comment because I mean it's a play that I mean it's it's a Shakespeare play so there's going to be you know description of of the the wildlife and the you know metaphors about the land and everything like this there's a surprisingly small amount of text dedicated to actually talking about the Rome or Egypt per se there's no like Egypt's lush blah 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 it doesn't rely on that the way um, I was kind of expecting when I was looking at this at these uh this duality of Rome versus Egypt. I, I went back through the text a little bit. And I'm like, Oh, there's not much about, you know, the stern, cold, uh, hard angles of the Colosseum versus, you know, the, the lush Nile tropical jungle or something like that. There's not, there's not a lot of that description, but there is, uh, in fact, most of the time, it's it's drawing uh, similarities between the two, um, which is again kind of undercutting it. Like they, there's a lot of talk about the Nile and the Tiber, mm-hmm. and they're both kind of talked about in the same way as as kind of like anthropomorphic things that that dominate the the landscape and um, kind of typify the, the the characters of Antony and Cleopatra themselves. Okay. So it's, it's just another kind of structure of. Uh, setting up this dichotomy and then kind of undercutting it by drawing the similarities uh, where they exist as well.
1: Well, yeah, and that I think is borne out too with when you look at the characters themselves, who mm-hmm. can kind of embody both, yeah, po- both parts of that duality in various turns, um, depending on where they are or depending on what the situation calls for. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't need to be um, describing the differences in the setting because mm-hmm. really, when you when you think about it the distance between egypt and rome is really not that far but they talk about it like it's the Ugh. far east and the west and it's like you guys could throw a stone and hit each other like i mean they didn't have quite. air
0: travel but yes i know
1: but still it's not as far as as like from england to rome yes right yeah but england to england
0: yeah, egypt is england to egypt right whole continent in the middle Yes, but, yeah.
1: but it's just yeah. it it's um the similarities are much more um, I agree. It is interesting that that the <laughs> that the similarities are commented on more than the differences. Well, I think
0: it, it's it harkens back. I don't know if this is something Shakespeare necessarily would have had in mind, but um, the fact that the Romans were ripping off the Greeks, right? You know, the Ptolemies were Greeks. You mm-hmm. know, like they, these. There there is a lot of similarity between these characters. The fact that they're all part of uh, the Mediterranean mm-hmm. uh, Greco-Roman culture Landscape, group, yeah, yeah, like everybody communicated and knew everybody else. And when they list off all those other kings of all the, the places that are helping Antony rebel, mm-hmm. um, they're all Greek names or mm-hmm. Latin names. Like mm-hmm. they're all they're, they are all connected into this this unifying uh, regional culture um, that's that's really similar and they they're all based on warfare and well it helps that the, the
1: roman empire was kind of massive so <laughs> i mean everybody was roman right yeah, yeah. so
0: well especially after this this was the last yeah. holdout, right so yeah no it's true
1: so uh going into love versus war mm-hmm. um again another masculine feminine dichotomy here love being a fairly typical uh well Think about that for a minute, though. Is it because the great love poems are written by men, and the goddess there are goddesses of war as well? So yeah. maybe it's not as clear cut and dried as we would want to think. But it's but when to. you think about it, it's it's you know love is a, a feminine thing and war is a masculine thing, mm-hmm. right? They're the purviews of the the two genders in a gender binary.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, the the play kind of talks about love as as again purely an egyptian thing and purely uh, a feminine driven thing cleopatra's you know head over heels for antony as she makes clear many many times but antony also is for her and it's it's again it's it's setting up that uh, it's setting up the play to question the very structure that it's it's basing everything on right Um, (laughs) i had it in my notes it has a shakespeare set up a very dude, is it gay to get laid by the hottest woman in history uh, <laughs> vibe, you know, to it? Like, it, it really does. It, it has this thing of, like, oh, well, those are, that's silly Antony being de you know. Yeah. Uh, and, but, like, he's doing a very masculine thing by, you know, plowing ladies and stuff. Like, like yeah. there, there's really, um, it, it is set up as a dichotomy, but also um, a continuation of uh, the masculine virtues of conquering, you know, right. like Antony is a great conqueror and now he's enjoying the fruits of his conquering. And is that is that really not a masculine thing to do? You know, well, sure.
1: And but I think the that from not not that I'm playing devil's advocate <laughs> and carrying water for the cold Romans, but yeah. um, Egypt was kind of under the sway of Rome. And yet Cleopatra has all the power. Mm-hmm. So... Is Antony the conquering hero that yeah. the Romans think he is? Yeah. Um, he had to give up a lot of his power in order to bed Cleopatra and I think that's a testament to her power and his mm-hmm. lack of power. Yeah. So it's another example of the t- the typically masculine and feminine uh, traits being subverted mm-hmm. yep, in the no. sense that, um, that Cleopatra wields a tremendous amount of power over Antony and he does as well over her but it's not the same no it's really not the same I get the feeling that she could do well without him she did do well without him before he came along she was also the consort to Julius Caesar Mm -hmm. so I mean this is not something um, that she's incapable of doing she's a goddess and ruler of all (laughs) ages exactly so but yeah yeah, Yeah. um, he can't exist without her anymore exactly I feel like
0: the play really uh, establishes her as, as as well. It's really just in the final act, but in the final act where she kind of uh, subverts Julius Caesar's desires or Octavius Caesar's desires yeah. to capture her. Yeah, she takes on a very masculine role in doing yeah. that. she wages her own kind of you know subterfuge war. Yeah, and she's successful in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's not just the the typical lover only. She mm-hmm. she's capable of warfare. I mean, mm-hmm. she does turn away in the battle of Actium, but. I mean, they got their ass kicked for a reason. I don't think sixty. Extra maybe ships she was ships were just smart about it. Like
1: maybe she just looked at it. and She's like, you know what? I'm going to lose this battle, yeah. so I'm not even going to fight. Yeah. And there's, you know, the Romans see that as cowardly. But there's a, a strategic intelligence yeah, to it, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, and and it's interesting that Antony loses both both of the battles at sea, um, but he wins the battle at land. Mm-hmm. So is land and Egypt a, a feminine thing that he's good at wielding? Like it's, it's it's. <laughs> Like, when you start yeah. getting into those smaller details of, of these kind it, of dichotomies, it, may, it becomes... Maybe,
1: maybe it doesn't hold. Maybe our dichotomy doesn't well, hold. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like,
0: but, I don't think Shakespeare wants anything to no, 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 right. Like, it, right. it, it, it sets something up, and then it says, love and war, well, you can win one or the other. Like, you can be Caesar, and you can be really good at, at warfare, but that means you can never love. And then you have Cleopatra do both. So it's like, you... you, <laughs> Like, it, it really does undercut the, the But But in
1: thing. doing both, she loses her life. In doing sure. both, Antony loses his life.
0: Yes. They can't exist but anymore. But Cleopatra doesn't do it until the end. Once she's lost her love, and then she focuses on more, she's successful in her limited goals of well, not being paraded around. Love
1: crime. kills itself in this play. <laughs> if you literally look at the character of Eros.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we right? talk about Eros. Yeah. Um,
1: who is Antony's
0: <laughs> like body trusted man. body
1: yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, right? Um, who he he wants to kill him which is so like freud would have a field day i'm sure freud did have a field day um antony wants eros to to kill him and instead eros kills himself and antony can't bring himself to kill him himself yeah. to do to, to do the same but he is instructed by eros he says the the masters become the t- the student or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that i'm paraphrasing but yeah. um and then he botches it, and it takes him an excruciating, long, excruciatingly long time to, to die. Yeah, yeah. But he, it's a world without Eros. It's a world without love yeah. that he cannot exist within anymore. Yeah. And that's when Antony uh, stabs himself and then is carried up to the monument and dies in Cleopatra's arms. And then Cleopatra resolves to kill herself and take out as much of Caesar's power as she can in yeah. the process. Yeah. And there's there's a kind of poetic nature to that the sense
0: that um like he loses his ability to do manly stuff and she gains it at the end like yeah
1: but they both have to die like there's just no <laughs> there's no way for mm. they the world that shakespeare has constructed for them to live in is a black and white world and yeah. they are not well, I guess, black and white characters I guess
0: exactly yeah i guess like the history enforces a black and white outcome. Yes, exactly. Of, you know, Rome will win. Right. So what happens in the meantime is the interesting right. part, right? And yeah.
1: that's where I think you said at the beginning that the play seems to suggest that love has um that there's a way for love to to exist in this world and I think it doesn't. If it can't, love dies in this play. And sure, Antony and Cleopatra die in each other's arms sort of Anthony dies in her arms and Mm -hmm. she just dies later but um in the same way that Romeo and Juliet die there's a a grand passionate suicide pact almost that these two have it's but it's not like it's glorified in any way like there's no they both look to um the afterlife, I guess, to be the place where they can exist together, right? Or at least Antony does. He he mentions that that the afterlife is like, yeah. or whatever he calls, he he references it, that that's the place where their love can exist, right? Before he dies. Yeah,
0: yeah. And she does too. She says, oh, Antony, I think is her final words.
1: Right. And so it's um, the world, yeah, it's just the world they live in can't, Function they can't function within that. I
0: agree, but I think the play is a little less pessimistic than that, in the sense that was their love worth pursuing? Because I think that I think the historical impetus for the play, or the historical fact of the play, Mm -hmm. the fact that the audience knows they're going to die, they're going to lose to Rome, that Octavius is Augustus Caesar, he is gonna be the first emperor of Rome. It allows you to reflect on their love as something that is not permanent and is going to fail. It is going to die out. Eros will die, but was it worth it? And I feel like the play is saying, yeah, it could be worth it if you if you think about that.
1: But but this their death ushers in the Roman Empire, which is the Pax Romana. It was the the height of yeah. everything that that you know these Renaissance. Um, yeah, scholars loved, were yeah. were looking back to and, and trying to emulate. This is this is what births that. So it was a necessary thing. I don't know that like you can romanticize it in the moment, but I don't think anybody is suggesting that they that it's a it's a tragedy. Yes, but it's not like this is something we should be emulating. I don't think that. I,
0: yeah, I don't know, but I don't think he's making that value judgment. I think okay. he's making a value judgment about um whether or not their love was was a good thing for the two of them like whether they were they were well, and that's, good that, lovers and that's you you know, what i'm like, saying
1: is that if that's true which it they were they were deeply in love with each other and i guess made each other happy so maybe. you know <laughs> maybe right um so that's great that's fine but is that
0: worth the political well yeah I
1: mean I think I think in the end we as a as a person sitting here right now in the 21st century I think love is more important than than that like I would rather have somebody in my life that I care about than land or money or whatever right but I just I don't think that what Antony and Cleopatra were striving for was a attainable in any way shape or form in the time that they lived in Mm or be something that they should have been going for in the first place. And I think yeah. that's where the tragedy is, right? Because it's almost like they were lovers out of time, right? They yeah. they weren't they they had feelings that their the time and place in which they lived could not sustain. Yeah. And that's maybe that's the fair. tragedy of it. And I don't think that yeah, Shakespeare okay. or the okay. play is endorsing that and saying, "Well, you know, if only Rome had been different because that would entail a totally different set of historical circumstances that that's fair do you know what i mean so i don't know no okay that's fair Methinks thou art a general offense, and every man should beat thee. I think thou wast created for men to breathe
0: themselves upon thee. I uh, just talked about the characters really quick. We really should have started with these and then led into them, because we've touched on all these points Aiden before. Aiden does
1: the notes in such a backwards
0: way. I, I really do sometimes. Um, but we really only have the three that we really want to talk about. We've touched on, you know, Barbas and, and uh, Charmian and stuff like that already. And Eros. And Eros. And we forgot entirely. Yeah, I did entirely. Um, it's telling. It's <laughs> telling. Anyways, my, my love. Uh, Anthony. I mean, he is who he is. He's the man stuck between the two worlds and the two extremes that we've talked about all, all episode. Um, and I feel like he's an interesting character in the sense that the audience kind of re- recognizes the, the bind that he's in, but he doesn't. And that's why he constantly flits back and forth between like, oh, I'm going to be a man. Oh no, I want to go back to my Cleo. She, I love her so much. Like he really can't make up his mind. He's He has no idea that these larger forces of love and masculinity and femininity are playing out inside of him. He's just, so he just, he fluctuates just back and things. forth. Yeah, he's just like, no, now I need to go back to war. No, everything's given up, we're going to lose. You go and, have
1: another night of mead and... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, he's, so I think that's what makes him kind of an interesting uh character to watch because he he's not aware of it, but you as the audience can very clearly see that he's he's kind of stuck in this in between space. Um and I think that his his love for Cleopatra, despite me agreeing with your point, Lindsay, uh, is really it is something to to behold. And I think uh they their scenes together are very, very interesting. Oh sure. Um, I, I feel like the relationship is definitely a little codependent though. Like they're not they're not <laughs> really a in a healthy uh, situation, especially because they are, you know, the king and queen of. Well,
1: and when you look at Cleopatra, who is, as I said, one of Shakespeare's most fully fleshed out female characters, um, she's well developed, she's interesting, she's complex, but she is a drama queen, and mm-hmm. she is toxic in so many <laughs> ways when it comes to the way she manipulates people, and and I, I said earlier that she's. that manipulative streak in her is what enables her to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I stand by that. I think that that's... She uses what she has in a world that, especially when she's dealing with um, the Romans, they don't really respect the position that she holds or the fact that she's a woman. Um, So I I respect that about her, that she goes out and gets it. But, um, But she is kind of... It bothers me. It bothers me that she is so dramatic and yeah, that she yeah. threatens to kill herself at mm-hmm. every turn. And and the scene where she's like, "Oh, I'm so sick." No, I'm not. See, this is how, this is how you look to me, Anthony. Right? Yeah, like yeah. she's just, she's like every worst female stereotype. Right. <laughs> true. Yeah. And that I I kind of wish was different. But I you know she's a, a strong female character. Mm-hmm. She knows what she wants. She knows how to get it, and she gets it. Right, like yeah. even though in the end it costs her her life, it's what she wants. Yeah, yeah. Is the sweet release of death. Yeah,
0: and I think that's. I think that is kind of the one. The the fifth act really redeems her character for me because I think up until that point yeah. it really is just her more or less manipulating Antony, um, complaining about him, yeah. uh, obsessing over him. Like it really is very. Uh, like not not just not positive behavior there's no there's no sense that you have this character uh who has her own desires and everything it's just oh i love Anthony and the they, same
1: for him towards her as well yeah right? yeah absolutely
0: yeah. right and but the the fifth act really does give her a chance to exist without Anthony. i mean she she you know cries over his body and stuff um but then she's setting in motion her own a uh, series of events, and yeah. it, it really does add a add a complexity to her mm-hmm. character. Um, and I I also like the scene where she and Caesar are talking because they are set up as this dichotomy, and yet they meet almost as equals. Mm-hmm. You know, she's playing the victim. She's like, "Oh well, everything I have here's a list of everything I've ever owned. You, it's all yours now." And you know, he's he's trying to play nice as well, mm-hmm. um, but everything is literally just uh, I want to say a preamble, but it's not a preamble. It's yeah. a It's another P-word. Pretext. Pretext. You're Lindsay, you're so smart. Um, It is a pretext to their actual conversation about, you know, when is she going to be paraded through Rome? Right. Um, And he's trying, she's trying to figure out if that's gonna happen or what have you. Um, so I mean you get Caesar is like this uh, purely masculine character, um, and her is this purely feminine character, and they interact as equals um in their their one scene together.
1: I like the fact that um Caesar attempts to be cunning,
0: mm-hmm. he
1: sends I forget the guy's name. Yeah. The the one yeah. that Antony told Cleopatra to trust. Yeah. am um, Appomattox. It's not his name. No. Of course it's of course. not Appomattox. Um <laughs> this is not the civil war. <laughs> but anyway, uh he sends him to go tell Cleopatra, give her whatever she wants. Yeah, yeah. And then sends the next guy in to completely subvert that entirely. And um it works for up for a split second yeah. but Cleopatra is far more she's she's just better suited to it she's mm. built for that kind of cunning because yeah. she's a woman yeah. so she's able well, to get the upper hand and and sneak yeah. in a couple of asps and then you know yeah. so I, I love that too because it's it's kind of like um, a, a, a muddy reflection of the way that Antony at one point earlier in the play could parley with Cleopatra on the same level and and Caesar can't
0: yeah yeah
1: o- Octavius can't yeah so his inability to best her at her own game is kind of a, a stroke it's a major stroke against mm-hmm. him and it's and it's what leads to him losing this great prize which is Cleopatra the yeah. prisoner yeah.
0: right no no absolutely and I I yeah his his character remains unable to cross that divide yeah like you said and mm-hmm. I think that's that's worth noting as well
1: if I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So, for our ancient bickerings today, we've decided to talk a little bit about betrayal. Go with the mm. theme of betrayal. We didn't talk about a lot here, but um, there are, broadly speaking, two kinds of betrayal in the play. Political betrayal and romantic betrayal. Mm. And our ancient bickerings for today wants to know, because a question is has the ability to want things. <laughs> which is the more... Uh, damaging political or romantic betrayal. Aiden, do you have an idea?
0: You know, I was going to say political, but I am going to go with romantic. Okay. And I feel like it's going back to my point earlier about how the play wants you to be invested in their romantic love. And mm. the betrayal there um, that Antony commits, basically at every turn, as soon as he goes back to Rome, he's, he's marrying Octavia He's, you know, and then he betrays Octavia too. Uh, you know, he he really can't, um, he can't get away from love. Okay. There's a pop song in there somewhere, um, but he <laughs> he can't get away from it. But he, and he he wants he his continued efforts to try, um, wind up costing both the political and the romantic. I feel um, he die or he and. Uh, Cleopatra do get back together at the very end Mm -hmm. but I mean he does kill himself because he thinks that she's already dead right I mean that it's not the political loss that drives him to suicide it is the romantic loss Um, I feel like that is again I feel like the play really 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 wants you to buy into the idea that their romantic longings are the centerpiece of the play so I'm so going to go with that.
1: romantic betrayal hurts more.
0: Yeah, it hurts, hurts more. Betrayal. And I feel like it's more, it is ultimately what causes the political betrayal um, by Antony. He betrays Rome to an extent, right? And that's uh-huh. why he gets punished for it. Uh-huh. Um, but it's because of the romantic uh, failings that he has, the romantic betrayals that he dishes out.
1: I will grant you that the romantic betrayals lead to the political betrayals. I will allow that, but I will okay. say the political betrayals are much more damaging and and um, and hurtful. Okay. okay. And and I use Eno Barbas as my oh. uh, my example. Okay. Um, I don't think that that Antony's political betrayal of the triumvirate matters so much. I think he's kind of given up on that, but I think that. So the Caesar,
0: so that's fine. right.
1: Exactly, they yeah. all had. Um, it wasn't going to work. There were too Lepidus. many cooks. Yeah. Well, poor <laughs> Lepidus just gets thrown in jail and yeah. is forgotten yeah. by the end of the play. Um, Enobarbus and Antony are two peas in a pod. They're kind of like um, uh, Othello and Iago. To, mm. to you know his his you know captain and his right right hand man, and um, Enobarbus is the voice of reason. And the betrayal, his betrayal of Antony, which is kind of the betrayal of Antony's logic. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really is a catalyst for I think the the entirety of Antony's fall. And the fact that Antony um it's a very cunning move on Antony's part to send Enobarbus all of his things. Enobarbus is expecting wrath. Yeah. And instead he gets all this uh gifts showered on him and and, and everything, you know. Antony is so he's so wounded by Enobarbus's deceit, but he's gracious in a cunning way, I think, in order to uh, castrate Enobarbus in a sense, and make yeah. him then fall victim to uh, Enobarbus. Eno Enobarbus kills himself in the end. Um, so I think that that is a kind of a. Uh, it's more of a thematic th- political betrayal because it's the betrayal of the political side of Antony's brain that um, mm. that Enobarbus represents, and that is what it happens before Actium. It happens before Actium, right? And then he loses the Battle of Actium, he loses the second battle at sea, he falls into despair, he realizes that he's got nothing from Cleopatra to show for it, and he's lost everything. Um, I think that is, hmm. that, that so is you're, you're thematically saying, okay.
0: the crux and the most so, damaging thing for Antony. So you, you're saying that if know Barbas didn't betray Antony... We Perhaps would have a different war, play. We'd have a different play.
1: I think that... Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think that you needed to balance those yes. two humors.
0: Okay. Okay. I can see where you're going. I can see where you're going. I, I'll grant you... That's an interesting betrayal. And I I think Yander sold the uh, the political betrayal of, you know, Antony betraying the triumvirate. Well, really, I, yeah, Actually, I think it's but, more... Maybe even more on that is more Caesar betraying the triumvirate. I mean, that's what eventually led him to power, is mm-hmm. the fact that he did just...
1: That too, Kill because he, he just throws Lepidus in jail and that pisses Antony off and then they go to war together, right? Because that was something that, that Octavius should have upheld and he didn't. And that's that's on him. And that was a political betrayal as well. But I don't count that because I don't really like Octavius very much. Who does? I don't know. Nobody. Nobody. That's the answer. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know if there's a clear winner for today's Ancient Bickering. No, I think you win. You do? I'll grant it. You'll grant it? I'll grant it this time. Well, that's very kind of you. I won't gloat too much.
0: For I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. Lindsay what's next on our docket
1: well next we have um our episode on teaching Shakespeare very excited I've been looking forward to this for a while it's a topic that is near and dear to my heart as a teacher Mm -hmm. um we're hoping to get some uh, a nice panel of of experts to talk to about uh, various strategies for how how you bring Shakespeare into the classroom um and I Aiden says, "Well, Lindsay, you're an expert on this," and it's like, "No, I'm I'm taking a break this podcast, this episode. I'm going to let other people talk about what they do, yeah. um, mostly because I'm a, an eternal learner and I want to learn from <laughs> other experts about what they do in the classroom." Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll be that'll be a really interesting um, topic, I think, for me and hopefully for everybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, we've complained many times here about uh, how teaching Shakespeare is. death of shakespeare for of people so i think it'll be interesting to see people especially in in a
1: 21st century context how do you bring something that's 450 years old um and keep it current and modern and interesting to a 21st century audience that thrives on minute-long tiktoks right so
0: (laughs) or three uh yeah and then after that we have pericles right another one of his lesser very lesser known plays i know nothing about pericles nothing about it
1: I went to see a fringe play called Testicles yes, and, and the sack, sack of Rome. Doom. Rome, Rome. It was the Sack Rome? of Rome. Oh, yes, okay. Testicles and the Sack of Rome. Okay. So when I hear Pericles, I think of that. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that.
0: I hope you're wrong. I hope we. I hope that's exactly what it's about. <laughs> we will find out uh, together yes. because yeah, I don't think many people have honestly read this play. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll take a Pericles
1: finger. was a was a hero though. He was he was like a, a yeah, warrior, was, right? Uh,
0: yeah, I think so. Because I'm, I'm picturing Hercules now, too. <laughs> well, I was so I don't thinking think of Theseus, so, I mean, yeah. Okay,
1: well, one of us is going to be wrong, or both of us. Probably both Probably of both us. Probably both of us. Yeah,
0: wrong. Yeah. very likely.
1: Uh, so that'll be coming up a month from now. Yeah. If you're listening to this on the day it's released, that'll be our next play episode. Mm. Um, This has been a hoot. I am uh, i don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> you have a really hard
0: time signing off these podcasts. I do. Podcasts. I get
1: really nervous. I'm like, I need to say something, like, interesting but just, I don't. I've been talking for an hour, or so yeah. yeah just, so you just just stop talking. That's the idea. So we just we just fin- there's no end. You just finish. That's. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix.
0: If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at Bixpod,
1: On Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod. Or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. <laughs> that's our cue to exit.